we are in a series called, it's a conversation about creativity. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we've learned in the first couple weeks of this series, is that uh, God, when God created us, he breathed into us his own life, his own image, his own likeness, which means that like him, creativity has just been breathed into us. It's imprinted upon our very souls. And we have mentioned how this is so clearly seen in children, in all the creativity, imagination, and wonder uh, that spills out of the pores of kids. If you watch a child for 30 minutes, I guarantee you, you will get a really close-up look at the creator. So much so that Picasso said that every child is born an artist. He went on to say this, the problem is staying an artist when you grow up. C.S. Lewis said that you've never met, nor will you ever meet, an ordinary human being because there aren't There is no such thing as an ordinary human being. Every person is brimming with potential. Like Buckingham Fountain. The world comes to Chicago to see Buckingham Fountain, especially at night when it's lit up in all that, those multiple beautiful colors. Well, that's that's how God created us. Remember the woman at the well Jesus met in John chapter 4? That's what he told her. He didn't refer to the Buckingham Fountain, but he referred to a fountain. And this woman was a very broken woman. She'd been through five broken relationships. Can't imagine the grief in her life. But you know what Jesus said to her? She said, if you will come to me, I'll set in motion inside of your soul that has been dead for a long time. I'll set in motion an artesian well that springs up through this life and on into eternal life. You can have a Buckingham fountain. God created you to have a Buckingham fountain flowing in creativity and beauty beauty and artistry and goodness and truth out of your life. Author Erwin McManus says that this creativity shows up right away in kids. Children naturally move toward what is called divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is where you don't stay inside the lines all the time. Your imagination's alive. There's wonder. You see the possibilities. There's curiosity. There's exploring. But he goes on to say that the older we get, convergent thinking starts to take over. And we stay within the lines all the time and reduce everything to formula and routine. Everything is just, give me the, give me the cold, hard facts. Give me the data. Give me the information. And we replace the wonder of the artistic soul that God gave us. It's one of the reasons I believe that in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus wanted to explain, again, the kingdom of God to a crowd of adults that he was teaching one day. And what did he do on that occasion, too? He saw a child standing nearby. He called the child to come on over. He stood that child right in the middle of those adults. And he said, unless you become like this child. Now, he was talking there specifically about the humility of a child. But you know, I think the same thing applies to creativity and all the other, those other things. Unless you become like this child, you will never enter, you'll never understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a creative place. But when we look at our adult-controlled world, though there are many wonderful examples of our human creativity, Jill and I in 1998 had, a, had a, only an afternoon to spend in the Louvre in Paris. Uh, and uh, I'll say more about that a little bit later, about what one of the paintings we looked at. But it was a place of beauty and art, a testimony to 
creativity. Last April, I had the opportunity to go to uh, listen to the Boston Symphony in Boston. I mean, that was a great experience. Uh, and then when I was watching the Cubs before they blew it, <laughs> I commented one night in one of the double plays that they pulled off, uh, it was a work of art. <laughs> so I, gotta, I always get something about the Cubs into this picture, but anyway. But there's artistry in the world. So, but when we look at our adult-controlled world, though there are many wonderful examples of human, human creativity, human, our creativity has so often either gone south toward evil and destruction or to just being switched off altogether by sorrow and despair to living lives that I'm just going to try to survive this day and see if I can make it to tomorrow. So why has the human condition fallen from a Buckingham Fountain kind of life experience to trying to survive the next day. And a world of evil and terrorism and all those things. Well, the Apostle Paul discusses this in the second chapter of his letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And I want to uh, just very quickly read through these, these first ten verses. And as I do it, I'm sort of going to insert some commentary that sort of tie it all together. Okay, so here we go. Verses should be on the screen, starting with verse number one, where Paul just begins with the word once. He's referring to something that used to be the case in the lives of these people in that church. Once you were dead. Now, what he says that you were dead spiritually. They weren't dead physically. They were dead in their hearts to this great and creative God. They were unaware of his personal presence in their life. Why? He goes on to say, because of your disobedience. In other words, a control issue had come into the picture between God and human beings. And if you go back to the third chapter of Genesis, you can get the whole story. Adam and Eve and all this control issue happened. But we separated from God, and this, Paul says, led to many, many sins that have just expanded throughout our world, our lives. All that flow of, and fountain of life and creativity in our soul came under somebody else's control at that time. And all of our creativity started to flow away from God instead of toward God until God became a stranger. The greatest creator of all became a stranger in his own creation. Verse number two, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, who is the commander of the powers of an unseen world. You know, we shouldn't have much trouble in a world that is plagued with terrorism in understanding that this is the picture that's painted of Satan, this spiritual being that who's, who's very real. But he heads up the most destructive terrorist organization that exists. And he's out to destroy humanity, to destroy your life. In fact, Paul says he is the spirit who is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. Passion, desire, that's the stuff of creativity, but it was all going south now because sin had come into our nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. God gets angry at sin and destruction and evil. Why? There's one reason. Because he loves human beings so much and he doesn't want to see any human being's life destroyed. We are, so we're on a path away from God that could potentially take us away from God forever and ever and ever. Verse number four. There's a great change here in the story. Verse number four. But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, 
He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Think about this. The same power that brought Jesus up out of that tomb is the same power God uses to resurrect your dead soul and bring you back into that creative relationship with him that, you were, that he made you to have. It goes on, in parentheses, it says, it is only by grace that you've been saved. That word saved means rescued. And this is a rescue operation for your life and mine. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. There's a word picture there that ought to just blow our minds. Paul says that we've been raised with Christ and that we have now been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Jesus went to the Father's right hand. That's where he is right now. You and I, what, this is a word picture that tells you and I, when we place our faith in Christ, we have the same access to God and all the goodness and depth and infinite presence of God. We have the same access that the Son of God has because we are in him. We are seated with him in, the, 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 in, in God's th throne room of heaven. We need to grab a hold of that. That's the restoration of our creator. Our feet do not just walk on this planet as followers of Christ, but our soul and spirit has access to the very presence of God in heaven. Then in verse number seven, and Paul uses a, he takes a word from the art, art world and he puts it in here. Verse number seven. So, and all this is for this reason, so that God can point to us in all the future ages as examples. You know that word examples taken from the art world. It's a word that simply means to put on display or to exhibit. So God wants to exhibit the, the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us in uniting us with Christ Jesus. And then God, Paul repeats it, God saved you, rescued you by his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We're not going to stand before God someday and say, God, I did all these good things. Can I? It doesn't work that way. It's a gift. We receive it by faith. And then he says in verse number 10, and he uses another word from the art world. For we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is poema, which is a word that means masterpiece, work of art. We are God's work of art. He has created us in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago, get back on track with the beauty and the good and the truth that he designed us to have. Now, the rest of this message, I want you to think of your life as a canvas upon which God intends to be painted a one-of-a-kind, unique masterpiece. And what that means is, that makes each of us artists in whose hand God has placed a brush with which to paint our lives day by day. Now, in this world as we find it, a fallen world, as Paul has just described, there are two kinds of colors on our life experience artist's palette, that little piece of wood that they dip their brush in. There are some bright colors which represent the joyful, the good, the beautiful experiences we have in life 
And we love to dip our brush into those colors and just paint all those beautiful, wonderful, joyful scenes that life can give us. But there are also dark colors on the palette, which are those painful, unjust, wounding, grieving life experiences. And these colors are a challenge. It's a challenge to incorporate those dark colors into the painting of our lives, believing that God can take things that stir bitterness or, or bad habits, or God can take the dark colors and, and, and somehow help us paint them into what's going to end up being his masterpiece in our life. And so what happens sometimes when the dark colors come our way, we turn to, we turn to things like bitterness or destructive habits, or we just turn off our creativity. We shut it off in despair. But the great promise of Jesus, the greatest artist of all, is that if we will allow him to guide our hand, that even the darkest colors of our life experiences and memories will be incorporated into that evolving masterpiece of our lives. And it is by living in Christ, in this promise and hope, that we, that's the only way I think we can stay creatively engaged in a fallen, broken, painful world. So I want to talk a little bit about the bright colors for a second. I want to ask you this question. Can you see, will you stop a moment and just take a look at the bright colors in your life today, in your circumstances? Just take a moment. What are the, what are the great things, the good things in your life experience right now? in your memories, in your relationships. Now, I've been blessed with six wonderful grandchildren. And still fresh in my mind is the opportunity Jill and I had just a couple weeks ago to spend 10 days with our two youngest grandchildren. Uh, the colors of those 10 days are intensely shining in, inside of my mind right now. Um, I'll share two of them with you. Uh, I took Ada our four-year-old, to breakfast. I think there should be a picture coming. Uh, to breakfast one morning, and Ada, yeah, there she is. Ada loves pancakes. Um, she was excited about this. It was like a little date we had. And I was even more excited than she was, to tell you the truth. Um, and when we were going, uh, she has this little, uh, like this little suitcases on wheels with a handle that you pull through the airports. She has one of those. And uh, inside, the only thing she had was this little uh, stuffed animal named Fluffy. <laughs> And uh, Fluffy was on loan to her. She's part of a preschool. And every week, they let one of the students take Fluffy home just to live life there that week. And then the kids have to write this little report or help, have their parents help them write a report about what they did with Fluffy. So it was at the table, uh, Ada, myself, and Fluffy at the, <laughs> at the restaurant. But I'll tell you what, laughter, talking, communicating, eating pancakes with blueberries. And then uh, Ada come over and said, uh, as we sit down together, we colored that kid's menu together. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. I would not. Then I also took Archer. He's just a little over a year old uh, for a walk in his stroller to this very picturesque overlook of the Puget Sound, that inlet of the Pacific Ocean that comes down hundreds of miles you know, into, into Seattle area. And, you know, while I was standing there with Archer for maybe a half hour or so, I, um, I was pointing things out to him, trees and sky, and the Olympic Mountains, which were across the water. 
And I was telling him, uh, you know, Archer, whenever he gets excited about something, right now about all he does, he goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. So he was doing quite a bit of that. And, uh, but you know, while I was standing here with him, I also began to talk to Archer. Don't know if he understood too much what I was saying, but I began to talk to him about, you know, Archer, um, God has great things for you. Unbelievable. Uh, Archer, uh, and, and I prayed for Archer while I was standing there. Uh, and, and then, on the way back, I made my first trip with Archer to a really neat little coffee shop. <laughs> there it is, right there. Uh, intensely bright moments on the scenery of my life. And I thank God for that. I thank God for the ability to have a brush in my hand to experience that in life. Now, I want to talk about the darker colors for a few minutes. Because these are where the barriers to our creativity, to our growth, to our development in this masterpiece, that's where the, the barriers come. Because suffering, it's the big issue, isn't it? You know, all of us will come to, and probably I know many have come to, places where the dark colors simply seem unbearable. And there is that weight of dread that you feel in here. It's right in here is where I would locate it, in your emotions. It's that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, of being absolutely trapped with no way out. And I'm sure almost everybody in this room has come to that place in your life. Maybe some are in that place right now. Uh, and then you feel like you get a grip on it, and then a day or two later, it just it returns. It's there again. Now, I want to ask, ask this room full of artists in here this morning. Every one of you is an artist. Do you have the courage to trust Jesus to guide the brush in your hand today and to help you incorporate those dark colors into the masterpiece of your life. Do you have that courage? Do you have that trust in Jesus? Now, to some others here, I want to ask this. When did you lay down your brush and just walk away from the painting, leaving the painting unfinished? Because you, did, because you couldn't see any possible way that those dark colors could be part of God's masterpiece for you. Now, maybe those dark colors have made it even impossible for you right now to see the bright colors anymore. And you have become a despondent, uninspired artist, and all that creativity has sort of leaked out of your heart. You know, that happened to a, a very great artist that you've heard of by the name of Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, Van Gogh came to believe that the only colors in life were the dark ones. And he, he pictures this struggle with faith and hope in one of his most beautiful works of art called Starry Night. There it is. Uh, and in, you know, the thing in this painting is a beautiful village um, underneath this huge, majestic, universal sky full of stars. When you look at all the houses in the village, you'll see a light shining out of those houses. There's a lamp on in those, in those houses. The only, build, the only building in that painting that has no light in it is that huge church with the big steeple. There's no light there. And that's sort of 
perhaps what Van Gogh was trying to communicate about his own philosophy of life, about where he had come. And, uh, and you know, Van Gogh, uh, he did lay his brush down, eventually, very sadly, in suicide. And that's a very sad thing. Because there was, there was, he left the world such great art, but there was so much more creativity, there was so much more in his story that God wanted to do. And there's so much more in your life, no matter how dark the colors are in your life today, God is not done with the painting. And I, I'm going to encourage you to keep that brush in your hand here today. So where do we find this hope necessary? Where do we find a fo any foundation to pick up the brush in the face of these dark colors and believe that uh, even though we can't see it now, they're, they're working toward a finished canvas someday that's going to radiate with the brilliance and the glory of Christ. Well, I would like to take us back to where everything in the Christian life always comes back to. It goes back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest example of God's ability to bring both the brightest and the darkest colors imaginable together into a glorious masterpiece. You know, Jesus' life on earth had many, many brilliant colors. His teaching, dazzling. His love his healing presence, his miracles, dazzled the people, astonished them again and again and again. But the closer Jesus got to the cross, it was more and more the dark colors that started to come into the picture. And when Jesus came up to the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the cross, the colors were so dark that even he, the Son of God, in identifying with our humanity, he found the darkness almost unbearable. He told Peter, James, and John, those three fishermen, he got them together. He needed someone to talk to. And he told them, my soul is in agony to the point of death. And then it says he went into the garden, he threw himself on the ground, he began to sweat blood because all his capillaries under pressure were starting to burst and the blood came through his skin. And then he prayed to the Father this prayer. And I'm going to paraphrase the prayer a little bit. He said, Father, if there's any other way to paint this picture... Let's do it the other way. He said, but Father, I trust you to know how to take all these dark colors in front of me and enable me to add them to this masterpiece. And right there, Jesus sets an example for you and I to trust God that he can help us paint those colors into the masterpiece of your life. And then on Friday... Good Friday, the darkest colors ever painted on the canvas of any human life were added to the life of Jesus on the cross. All the dark colors of hell were added to his life that day. But you know what? Jesus still wouldn't lay down the brush. He was then laid, betrayed, beaten, and dead in the darkness of a tomb. And it looked like the whole painting had completely failed. But then, on Sunday morning, right about dawn, the brightest colors ever added to any human life were added to the picture as Jesus rose triumphantly from a betrayal and despair and injustice and death. God, by his power, added the color of resurrection to Jesus Christ. And it's this color of resurrection that he wants to add to your life. So that we're no longer, as Paul says, dead in our sins. God has a color. He ha he's ready to add that to your life today. 
to restore your creativity, to restore your artist's soul that's going to keep that brush held in your hand and painting no matter what the colors of your life circumstances might happen to be because the resurrection of Jesus proves that betrayal, injustice, loss, grief, sorrow, disappointment, death, and despair are not the primary colors. They are the colors that are going to fade away someday until the brilliance of Christ's beauty. That's all that's left shining through your life. Those colors are fading away. So I stand here this morning. I don't, in fact, I don't stand. I sit. <laughs> I sit here this morning, and I see this room. I look at every one of you as artists. I think of the kids and the youth downstairs. They're all artists. I feel like I'm standing in the Louvre in Paris with Jill again right now, looking at all you guys. And I see one masterpiece after another in the making. Every one of you. And it fills me with a sense of awe. Yes, there are no ordinary human beings. But you may feel like your life canvas is way too small, obscure, very limited. How many of you have been to the Louvre and seen the Mona Lisa? All right. If you're like me, Jill and I walked in there, I thought the Mona Lisa was going to be this huge, huge painting that just sort of took off the whole wall. You know what? It's only 21 by 31 inches in diameter. It's very small. And isn't it something that the, perhaps the greatest uh, work of art in the history of the world is captured on a very small canvas? And sometimes we can think that our lives, what significance could they possibly have? Well, you know what? Leonardo da Vinci's painting there has had an influence far beyond the size of its canvas. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly what God has for you and I too. A life... When, when God, when God, the paint that God is putting into your life on that canvas will splash off of that canvas onto the lives of other people. And in fact, the church is called in the book of Ephesians to be like an artist's guild, a company of Christ's artists here in this community and in all the communities and nations of the world, to show others how God can take the bright and the dark colors and help paint their lives into a masterpiece. And so it is so important for you and I as Christ followers, as we go about our days, and we see that every person we see, we see them as someone God created to be a masterpiece a potential work of inexpressible, breathtaking beauty in every person you see. So I'm going to ask you this morning, congregation of Christians, will you consciously make it a point as you leave here today to look at every person that way? Would you make that your mission in this world, the mission Jesus has given us, to allow them to see the beauty and the hope and the confidence of Christ in your life so that they are attracted to that same wonderful, redeeming, Jesus Christ. We'll wrap it up with a few action points here. Number one, you know, some of you here this morning, I am sure, need to come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in your life. Maybe you've been searching for what is this all about anyway. Searching for truth, meaning, 
Truth and meaning is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's that one who went to the cross that Paul talked about, died to forgive us of all of our sins. And Jesus Christ is here today, and if, if you want to know him, he paid the price. He, he covered all of our sins so that we could be, the slate could be wiped clean. We can, there's no barrier between us and God. We can come to know him. And he's here today. If, you, if you've never received Christ into your life, I would just encourage you, right where you sit today, just say, Lord, I'm lost without you. I need you. I have sin. I, I admit my sins. Forgive me. Cleanse me. He'll do that. And when he does that, he will come into your life with all that resurrection creativity that we were talking about a moment ago. It's the greatest miracle of all. The second thing is, some of you are here this morning who've been painting your life with colors of bitterness. You've been adding some very angry, destructive brush strokes to your life, your, your painting. And if that's the case with you today, I'm going to challenge you to pick up that brush again and trust Jesus to even take those dark colors and work it and weave it into the masterpiece of your life. Some of you who have laid down your brush, perhaps in despair, I challenge you to pick that brush up again and get started painting. And some of you, your painting has been placed on hold by barriers like discouragement or fear or intimidation and they're keeping you from taking the next step in your life as a growing person, perhaps in your career, perhaps in your relationship, uh, to be creative, to, to, to use your imagination under God's direction. And don't be held back in your life. Maybe you've got a gift or an ability that you're just letting it lay in there dormant, not using it. Pick it up. Get that brush painting. Move forward. Take the next step. Don't let fear box you in. Break outside the lines. Recapture that childhood creativity that was just bursting and brimming. And let that let, Jesus will bring that back into your life. Pick up that brush. You know, some people here might be thinking, man, it's too late. Uh, but you know what? I just ask this question. How old was Grandma Moses when she started painting? 78. <laughs> so it's not too late to let Jesus Christ Kick your artistry in gear. Don't allow your life to be an unfinished painting or an angry, bitter painting. Let it become the beautiful masterpiece that God is ready to help you paint today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for truth, grace. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of life. Lord, we're in a world right now where a lot of that beauty has been scarred and, and tarnished and lost. But you haven't given up on this world. And Lord, there's great beauty that is, is yet out in front, the greatest beauty. And so, Father, I pray that we won't give up. You haven't. We're going to trust in your Son, who is our Savior, who is our Redeemer, the greatest artist of all, who has come to live inside of our lives and to stir that imagination, that creativity, that that makes life full and abundant and joyful. So, Father, help us to take hold of your truth today as we've not taken hold before and paint that masterpiece, Lord, day by day, experience by experience. 
And we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' great, mighty, wonderful name. Amen. Amen.